Welcome to episode seven of the G2 on 5G, the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We handled six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is my uh, fellow analyst, uh, partner in crime, Anshul Sag. So let's get started. Uh, my first topic is China Unicom, and it seems uh, the Chinese operators are beating their chest again on uh, counting numbers of base stations. So uh, Unicom this week uh, stated that they operate over 130,000 5G base stations nationwide. According to one report, uh, another states that China may end the year with over 600,000 5G base stations among all three of the, the major carriers in China. Uh, what's also interesting this week, news broke that uh, China Unicom Americas is fighting what appears to be uh, the restriction on foreign entity operation in the U.S. And as you recall, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, it's related to a new presidential order. So, Angel, what do you think about all this? Well, I, I think the counting of, of base stations is, is a bit weird. Um, it seems like it's a metric that operators have found as a metric for success. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that base station counts um, all they prove is that the operators have a great relationship with the government or mm -hmm. at least local government and are able to, you know, ramrod a bunch of cell sites in. Um, but um, if those sites aren't properly backhauled and aren't designed for, uh, you know, the optimal 5G infrastructure layout, then it doesn't matter That's how many point. you have. Right. right. Um, maybe you don't need 600,000 base stations by the end of the year mm -hmm. um, if there aren't enough customers for it or if there just isn't the demand for it yet. It's just like, you know, in the U.S., I feel like operators maybe are a little behind because sometimes they under um, develop their infrastructure based on demand. But mm -hmm. this almost sounds like they're over overbuilding infrastructure based on demand. But I have a feeling that a lot of it has to do with the government and in, in incentivizing infrastructure build out. I would agree with you. And, you know, and, and China's focus has been in the low to mid band, not millimeter wave. And as we all know, you need densification of base stations for millimeter wave. So it makes more sense when you look at countries like the U.S. that are very focused on millimeter wave. So I agree with you. I think, you know, it's it's. It's, it's kind of providing big numbers out there in an attempt to demonstrate some leadership. From my perspective, it's also about the services. And, you know, I've talked about um, SK Telecom in South Korea and how they've really led from a services perspective for consumer as well as enterprise. So, so time will tell how effective that is. But let's shift to your first topic this week. And you've been following Finland and, um, and some of the operators there. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so uh, Finland had a uh, an auction of Spectrum, which you know have been happening, you know, almost weekly now in different countries all over, around the world. Um, Finland's unique because they're kind of like a mobile-first society. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were one of the first ones with uh, HSPA. Um, they have, you know, were one of the first with LTE. They were also one of the first with five G. They're doing six G research already. Right, I remember um, that. So the interesting thing is, is that here they, they did a millimeter wave auction uh, in the 25 to 27 gigahertz bands. And um, basically what happened is the three major operators in Finland all got 800 megahertz of spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
they're all equally getting the same amount of spectrum, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a good thing for competition at least. Um, and we'll see how that pans out um, overall. Um, I believe the majority of Finland's population lives in like three cities. So I think they can right. make millimeter wave work. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, what's really crazy about Finland is, um, I forget which net, which band it is. It might be 400 megahertz, but they have like 3G coverage in the forests. So like right. you can have like, you can have like a, a cabin in the middle of nowhere and have cell yeah. service. And I think Finland's like one of the few places in the world that can even say that they have that. Yeah, and you know, they're, they're very, they've been very technically forward um, in general. And you know, and I think having that coverage in rural um, also allows them to do some things with ag tech, right? And so, you know, that's, that's sort of a growing trend in applying connectivity to, to do things like improve crop yields. And obviously there's, there's forestry and timber and that sort of thing in that country. So, yeah. fish, you know, fishing as well. So I think their tech first approach has really enabled them to be one of the most successful <laughs> entrepreneurship um, economies in the world. Like they, you know, they, they have an outlandishly high percentage of entrepreneurs and successful startups. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really interesting. But what's also interesting is they're going to start deploying the spectrum starting July 1st. So, okay. you know, it's June. They auctioned it this to like this week, and in a month they'll start deploying it. So um, you know they've kind of been anticipating this. Um, so it almost sounds like it's a little bit of a formality, um, but nonetheless, it's very interesting and egalitarian of them. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold there. Let's shift to my second topic this week, and let's talk about uh, the Great White North, Canada. Uh, they announced that they postponed their 3.5 gigahertz spectrum auction. Uh, due to COVID-19, and it looks like it's about a six-month uh, delay, and um, they stated that the focus is to allow the operators to, you know, to deliver these essential services um, in the midst of the coronavirus. But, you know, is the coronavirus becoming a 5G scapegoat for operators? You know, Rakuten recently announced a delay based on COVID-19. I'd love to get your thoughts there. So, I feel like COVID is being used as an excuse for a lot of things um, that aren't justified. Um, there's like a lot of structural issues that already existed prior to COVID and mm -hmm. maybe COVID exacerbated them, but um, you know, those were trends that were already happening. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that if you, if anything, COVID has shown that, you know, 5G needs to grow out faster because, you know, it'll help, alleviate some of the stresses on the on the networks that already exist yeah so um you know and i say you can see some countries are already and some operators are recognizing that and they're accelerating 5g instead of slowing it down mm -hmm. so i'm not really sold on the idea that covid19 you know delaying 3.5 gigahertz spectrum auction will somehow you know help operators deal with COVID-19. I understand that there are people, um, you know, working in these companies that are dealing with, you know, more demand, higher, higher, you know, um, needs from their customers and, you know, having to deliver more services. But at the same time, I just don't see why COVID would, 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 you know, prevent the people who are, who are needed that to deploy the spectrum. Cause I feel like, you know, the, the operation and, and rollout of this spectrum doesn't really interfere that much with the daily operations of a network. Um, right. So I feel like, I don't know, it just doesn't sound right to me. 
I agree. I agree. You know, and, um, you know, time, you know, time will tell, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, and I think if anything, uh, there's an incentive to your point um, to accelerate the deployment because then you can do pretty interesting things uh, with, you know, contact tracing applications and, and that sort of thing. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but let's, let's shift gears. Let's, let's hit your second topic. We've talked about this as well on, on, on other podcasts about 5G misinformation and, you know, links to the coronavirus and that sort of thing. Twitter um, stated uh, that they're going to start fact checking and you've been following this. So, why don't you kind of uh, elaborate on, on what they're doing? Yeah, so what they've decided um, is that they're no longer going to allow um, misinformation about the link between 5G and COVID-19 to continue mm -hmm. to spread on their platform. Um, they're going to start fact-checking people when they start posting things that connect COVID-19 to 5G um, because we've already talked about, like you said, that there are some people who believe that 5G is causing COVID-19, um, mm -hmm. which is demonstrably false. Um, but, uh, you know, on, on social media platforms, misinformation spreads incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, Twitter, I assume, sees this as a, uh, a global problem, not just a U.S. problem. Mm -hmm. And as a result, have taken to fact-checking 5G misinformation tweets um, and a lot of them are bots, um, which I think is a, an entirely different problem um, mm -hmm. that Twitter needs to deal with because um, I think bots on social media in general are a big problem, especially on Twitter. And uh, they spread mm -hmm. misinformation by convincing people that something's an issue when it's not. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not really a, a very significant issue, um, but it does connect to 5G in the sense that, you know, people are blaming 5G for something that it literally cannot do. Yeah, yeah, and you make a very good point. Um, this is global, right? So <laughs> we've heard misinformation, you know, in the UK, and we've heard crazy stories about how people are trying to tear down what they think are 5G, um, you know, uh, radio towers and that sort of thing. So uh, it's not just, you know, specifically oriented to one part of the world. So I think that this is this is a great thing, you know, you know, there's lots of fake news out there, right? And this is certainly one of the biggest in my mind. So uh, let's shift to my third topic this week. And uh, it's, uh, it's around Nokia. And uh, they recently conducted some research. Uh, it was actually surveys of uh, people in the United States, the United Kingdom, and also South Korea. And one of their big conclusions, which I find sort of like Captain Obvious, is that they find that fixed wireless access services are a big opportunity, not only for consumers, that makes a lot of sense, right? Broadband to the Shocker. home, and you're, yeah, <laughs> when you're underserved by fiber, but um, but also for SMBs. And so um, I'm not surprised by this. Um, obviously, Nokia uh, is very heavily focused on fixed wireless access and the gear and the infrastructure that's associated with that. Um, what what are your thoughts here? I mean, obviously, to you and I, it's it's pretty obvious. Is this just sort of a a marketing you know a marketing ploy on Nokia's part or what? I think it, I think it kind of is. It, it sounds like a, Hey, you know, um, fixed wireless is important. You know, um, phones are cool and all, but fixed wireless is, a, is an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. And I think they're just reminding operators to remember that that's an opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, you know, I, I think, you know, there's so many different applications of 5g and I think fixed wireless is a huge one because sure. no one wants to pay to dig those last couple hundred feet. 
Yeah. And those last couple hundred feet are the most costly mm -hmm. um, because they don't scale. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think fixed wireless is a total no brainer. It's just, we have to have the coverage in the backhaul. Um, and um, that's kind of funny because it kind of leads into my next topic. Um, right. Yeah. That's talking about uh, the FCC and some developments there, right? Yeah. Because um, the FCC, um, you know, had a meeting recently this week, uh, I think a couple of days ago, actually now. Um, and they um, did two things. They, they kind of modify their 2014 language around site um, or siting. And um, basically what they're doing is enabling um, operators to quickly get the shot clock running um, so that municipalities have to respond to their requests for um, deploying sites and um, that they have to do, you know, they have to have a written um, statement, but also that uh, they can more easily upgrade existing sites mm -hmm. so they don't have to, you know, file paperwork or as much paperwork, hopefully, um, to upgrade current sites to 5G. Um, and then the other thing that they did is that they also explored the use of 70, 80, and 90 gigahertz spectrum, mm -hmm. um, which would be used for 5G, but it would be used for 5G backhaul, which right. means it would be basically a way to um, interconnect the network with itself mm -hmm. um, or to, you know, the back, the actual backhaul, fiber backhaul, um, mm -hmm. and basically reduce the cost of deploying the network um, so that, you know, potential some cell sites may never actually have any fiber going to them because right. they're actually getting, you know, 70, 80, 90, 90 gigahertz signal, which is actually the backhaul that, that serves them, um, mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, rebroadcast as a 5G signal. Uh, you know, I think it's super positive. You know, I've been critical of the FCC and, and the auction process and, uh, you know, how these auctions, you know, spiral at times, you know, out of control from a, from a cost perspective, you know, if you follow the FCC on Twitter, you know, they're often bragging, hey, you know, we just, you know, we completed this auction and we put another $8 billion and, you know, the federal coffers and that's all great, but there's gotta be a balance because if there's not, then operators are gonna be challenged because they're spending billions of dollars to deploy this 5G infrastructure to, to do just that and deploy, you know, deploy services and, and all of that. So I think this is positive news. I think you would agree, right? Yeah, I think it's positive news. I think there's definitely some people that are concerned about, you know, what how municipalities can deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think there's a lot of municipalities out there that genuinely are so misinformed that they're right. just banning. They're just banning 5G because they don't even understand right. what it means. Exactly. So it's like, do I trust a city that doesn't understand what 5G is and is banning it for health concerns? Right. I don't really. There's a, there's a balance somewhere in there, and I hope we can find it. Um, but I do think that increasing permit permitting rights um, and making it easier for operators to roll is extremely important for the U.S. to be competitive, um, because we're a large country with a lot of people, yeah. and um, you know our government doesn't, you know, rule like other governments do in terms of mandating um, siting. Mm -hmm. So I think. Um, I think it's a positive thing and we just have to be careful and make sure that it's not too onerous on the cities and it's not too restrictive on operators. And there's, you know, there will be a balance somewhere in between and hopefully yeah. we're close to it right now. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, Hey, my friend, another great session this week. Why don't you take us home?
All right. So we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone would like to hear uh, about any specific topics or have us provide any insight on them related to 5G, please feel free to uh, reach out to us on social media. Um, Will is at Willtown Tech on Twitter, and I'm at Anshul Sog. We hope that you have a great weekend, and please tune again next time.